Hello and welcome to episode 155 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Vienna, Virginia. I'm Ben Olson and with me is Nathan Fox in Los Angeles. How's it going, Nathan? I'm okay. I'm, I'm mourning the loss of MoviePass. Wait, what happened? I didn't realize that MoviePass is gone. MoviePass, I have is, MoviePass is significantly diminished. It is not the pass it once was. So wait, what happened? It's half the pass it once was. It's less than half the pass it once was. It's it ain't shit okay. now. Um, <laughs> well, so they've just added restriction on top of restriction on top of restriction. So one of the first things they did was they they limited it to three movies a month instead of you know one movie per day. It went sure. down to three movies per month, which still is a bargain for 10 bucks, right? I mean, one movie ticket depending where you go can be 15 or 20 dollars. So Yeah. Um it's that that part if it was just 3 movies a month, that would be fine, but it's also now they're limiting it to a certain number like they're telling you what movies you can see. Yeah. Yeah. And they're they're significantly limiting the the new most popular movies and days and times and all sorts of all sorts of restrictions. And so now when I log on to the app, there's like nothing at my two local theaters that I can see or that I want to see. So I haven't been able to use it once in the last uh, couple of weeks and um, I'll keep it for another few weeks and see if I get any use of it at all. But if not, it's looking like I'm going to cancel it. I mean, it was too good to be true. Yeah. Yeah. And I loved it for a while. Hopefully I will continue to go to the movies a lot as a result of this, but I'm just going to have to buy tickets. Like I went and saw black Klansman the other night. That movie was fucking awesome. Hmm. Uh, highly recommended Spike Lee film. Really, really great. Uh, but yeah, I had to buy a ticket for it. It was a shame. Yeah. <clears throat> That's interesting. Cause I have it. Um, and the last time I tried to use it, you're right. It was restricted in terms of times and I just didn't use it. And I guess it's dead now. You know what else they did that really pisses me off is that I used to use it. So they added a restriction a couple months ago that you couldn't see the same movie twice, mm. which yeah, yeah. is mm-hmm. a little annoying because I mean, I want to take friends to movies and um, maybe I would go see the same movie twice and okay, fine. But I get it. Like you don't want <laughs> people would just be geeking out seeing like star Wars or Marvel or whatever, like seeing it every day. And They're also worried, I think, about people sharing, right? Right, their past right, with their right, friends. right, right. Okay, so mm-hmm. I get it. That that makes sense. I I get it. I see what you're doing there. But they then, what they did at first was they would show, they would display that movie and Showtime in the app, but it would be like grayed out. Yeah, and that was fine for me because it's like, oh yeah, I can't see that movie because I already saw that movie. But here's where it is, and here's what time it is. So I get yeah. at least use, <laughs> at least use the movie time, the movie pass app as a showtime list mm-hmm. now they don't even display the movies that you can't see they just don't even show up in the app mm-hmm. so now when i look at movie pass to see what's at my local theater it just says like there's nothing showing at your local theater yeah well that's fucking worthless now i have to like <laughs> okay are you trying to drive me to use another because now i have to like go check showtime somewhere else yeah it's, it's, uh, I don't know. Uh, we'll see. I mean, it, it seems like they've, they've limited it so much that now it's just going to be too much of a hassle to make it even worth, worth it. I, I don't know. Yeah. 
I mean, 10 bucks a month. <laughs> I don't know. I have a lot of things that are 10 bucks a month that I never use at all. So shit. I don't know. Yeah. It's still pretty cheap. Like if you go once a month and you've paid for it, but it's kind of like, is it worth it? And if you skip a month now you're behind and all that. Well, and if it's just not even, if it's more hassles, I don't want it to, I want it to be easy at least. I don't want mm-hmm. it to be a pain in the ass. It's almost like they maybe should charge more and just make it super easy again. I mean, honestly, I would have paid, you know, and maybe they need levels or something. Movie mm-hmm. Pass, Movie Pass Supreme or something. Elite. Movie Pass. <laughs> yeah. Um, if, if they had the Movie Pass, you know, Platinum, I, I would have paid. Boy, I mean, I loved it so much. I was going to so many movies all the time, and I was just really delighted by it. Mm-hmm. And I, I easily would have paid fifty dollars a month for it. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's outrageous, and like, it's not a thing that most people would buy. I have a, I do have an unusual life, right? Unusual schedule and stuff. So, sure. Um, but I would have paid fifty dollars a month. I, I saw so many movies. I there, and and just seeing everything, you know, and really loving the experience of going to the movies and seeing all these different crazy movies all the time. And yeah, I mean, it was for $10 a month. It was outrageously cheap, Mm -hmm. but no, instead they just, they only have one thing and they just, it's like now it's feeling a little bit like bait and switch, right? Where, Where it's like they put this thing up there and they get everybody subscribed to it. And then now they're hoping like, Oh, just hopefully people will never unsubscribe. Yeah. Making it, it was like a scam kind of. Yeah. And now you have to call to cancel. Oh, do you? Yeah, probably. No, I'm just saying. No, you probably do. You should do that. You probably do. <laughs> and it's probably like a, a major hassle to cancel. Of course, you could always just call your credit card and tell them to cancel it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, what are we talking about hmm. on the show today? Yeah, well, we're going to talk about our joint project, the LSAT Demon. Oh, uh, which shit. Is we barely talked about that in the last episode, like halfway through the show. Yeah. Today we're going to actually talk about it at the top of the show. Yeah, we'll make that more of a priority. That's lsatdemon.com. Great. We'll also talk about our next uh, joint live class uh, on October 20th and 21st. That's a Saturday and a Sunday. I think right now we're leaning toward Chicago, but we'll talk about that a little bit more uh, and where it might be. We also want to talk about Khan Academy's free online class and its weird incorrect or correct answer labels. Um, we want to talk about a, someone's attempt to rebut the presumption to not go to law school or not pay for law school. And it's, what if I live with my parents? Okay, well, it's a nice attempt. We'll talk about that. Um, a patron apparently wants to be like Ben and Nathan, but should they sell their soul to Kaplan? <laughs> okay. Short answer, no, probably. Uh, con opinions and LRRC help. I'm not sure what that is about. Um, do you know what that's about? Con opinions? I do not know. We have Sarah, our VIP <laughs> Supreme Gatekeeper, setting the agenda for us these days. So it's like a surprise. This is going to be great. Yeah, this is going to be good. Uh, okay. Another thing is how to apply theory. So maybe a theory on how to apply. Uh, another thing is an engineer who wants to go to law school. Oh, dear God. Um, and then let's get persnickety about LSAC's grammar. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. Thank you, Sarah, by the way, as always. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's, that's a hefty list. We better get cracking. Sure, we better. Um, let's jump into the LSAT demon. So the LSAT demon 
is our joint online AI uh, prep class. And I don't even know if class is the right term, but it's a tool that will help you prepare for the LSAT by watching you do practice problems and figuring out what your weaknesses are, tracking all sorts of things such as how long it takes you to do the questions, what questions you're doing, how hard they are, um, whether you get them right or wrong, and then over time figure out what kind of questions you need to practice and it will serve those up for you. So it's a very simple interface, but um, that's because it's doing all the work in the back end, you can just start doing practice problems and stop stats debating. Uh, it has our explanations. Um, both of us have contributed to that, and you can get access to those by signing up for the class or the the tool. It's um, ninety five dollars a month at lsatdemon.com. Nathan, do you want to add anything? That's that? the only place that you can get explanations from both me and Ben. It has written explanations and it has video explanations. It's going to continue to expand over time. Uh, you can try it for free right now. If you go to lsatdemon.com, you can be immediately doing LSAT questions for seven days for free. And uh, it's ridiculously cheap, Ben. Why is it $95 a month? It's not, it's not <laughs> enough. It's, we, uh, that price has to go up. Um, for now, it's $95 a month, and uh, you would be really silly not to sign up for it. I just don't understand why people wouldn't. Yeah, and uh, people have already signed up for it based on our failed attempt to promote it last episode. <laughs> Good. And uh, we've already gotten feedback as well. So, I mean, we had feedback before from some trial users, but uh, the feedback continues to come in, uh, both positive feedback and some really good suggestions that we are working on today uh, and tomorrow and every day, really. Uh, we work on it every day with David and it's exciting to continue developing it. So if you do sign up, um, please reach out to one or both of us and tell us what you think so we can continue to improve it and make it useful for you and the best tool out there. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, cool. All right, so October 20th and 21st of this year, we're leaning towards going to Chicago for another live class. We have one coming up this weekend. It will uh, have already passed by the time you hear this episode, but we're very excited to do that. That one is filling up in New York City. Um, I think we should probably have a vote on in the Facebook group. Does that sound good for what city to go to? Yeah, let's do it. Sure. By the time this episode goes up, there will be a poll live uh, on the Thinking LSAT podcast group on Facebook, and you can vote for various cities um, I'm leaning towards Chicago just because I love Chicago and would love to go to Chicago. Yeah. Um, but we could put New York back on the list and we could put some other places on the list. I don't know. You, yeah. What have been thrown out there? I, I remember people talking about Vegas, San Diego, Atlanta, Austin, right? What else has been mentioned? Dallas, um, you know, just places that are central and easy to fly to mm -hmm. and Miami, yeah, I mean, that's not central or easy to fly to. It, <laughs> I, you know, yeah. when we get to, like, if we're going to do a class in February or March, it's going to need to be, for me, it's going to need to be somewhere warmer. I'm not going to Chicago in February. Um, mm -hmm. But if we're going to go in the fall or summer, spring, you know, then then it opens up some cold weather places. And then, uh, yeah, so we'll take a vote and we'll put some ideas up there and uh, – 
whoever, wherever sounds like we've got the most interest, that's where we'll go. Okay, cool. Uh, quick update on the numbers. Um, well, before I jump into the numbers, if you have questions, you can always email us at help at thinkinglsat.com. Those emails are now going to Sarah, who's doing a wonderful job creating this agenda for us. And um, she will put your email on the agenda if that makes sense to do so. Uh, she will definitely respond either way. Um, She's hyper-organized, this- too. She, I can't believe that spreadsheet she made with the pivot table and all that shit of all of our previous topics. So if you email help at thinkinglsat.com with a question that has already been exhaustively covered on the show, Sarah is going to refer you to which episode to go listen to to get that information. And hopefully that's going to make the show more useful going forward. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, right now we have 784 members in the Thinking LSAT podcast group on Facebook. Join the group if you have not done so already. There's a lot of good discussion on there. We now have 87 followers on Instagram. Uh, it's just Thinking LSAT. You can also check us out, at me at Innovator Ben and Nathan at Fox LSAT on Instagram. We have 33 patrons on Patreon donating 155 every month. Thank you, as always. It's very helpful. Uh, we have 314 ratings and 84 reviews on iTunes. Apparently, we just got a one-star. Will you tell us about this one-star yeah, review? Yeah, the one-star review that was just posted. The subject, very unprofessional, exclamation point. And then the review said, the language is obscene and completely unnecessary. So thank you very right. much for that feedback on our free podcast that we work so hard to produce. Um you know, hey, we're not for everybody, Ben. I'm definitely not for everybody. If you can't handle an F-bomb here or there, hey, we have the explicit tag for a reason. And uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you know what I love? Like, do people think that lawyers don't swear? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. You know, if uh, if an F-bomb here or there is going to scare you off, then you should just stop, stop listening now. Um, but uh, no, we do appreciate all of our feedback that we get. And uh, you go to iTunes, you can leave us a rating and a review. And uh, if you hate us too, I don't know why you're listening, but um, sure, go vent on iTunes. Why not? Yep. Uh, hook us up with your pre-law society by emailing Cassidy at podcast at thinkinglsat.com. Again, that's podcast at thinkinglsat.com. I know uh, several people have already reached out to her and given her information about their pre-law society. Um, by connecting your pre-law society with us, we can connect them with good advice on the LSAT. Uh, we also just started a LinkedIn group or a group on LinkedIn. It's called the Thinking LSAT Podcast. Um, we would like someone to volunteer and be a moderator for that. Uh, Annalisa has started the group, but she's moderating the Facebook group, and it would be nice if we could have someone who's dedicated uh, and active on LinkedIn to take that over. So if you're interested, email uh, help at thinkingelsat.com, and we'll get you uh, the moderator position on that or just connect on LinkedIn, I guess. Um, on Twitter, we're at thinkingelsat. Nathan is at and Fox, and I'm at Olson Benjamin. Uh, you can also learn more about what we do at strategyprep.com or foxlsat.com. We have live classes in DC, LA, and San Francisco, and all sorts of online and one-on-one help. All right. We're going to have to tighten that up. We got too many things going on. 
Yeah, that's, yep. We got too many social medias. I mean, of those, I basically use Twitter and sometimes Facebook, and but that's about it. I, hmm. I do connect to people on LinkedIn, but I don't like use LinkedIn. I don't understand how to really use it. I use it to connect students with each other, I guess, but I, I don't, I don't know. I don't use any of this shit. I definitely don't use Instagram. Yeah. Maybe I should. Well, I don't know how to do it. I like Instagram. Yeah, I started using that. You have kids. So I do have kids. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, let's jump in here. I guess the first thing is this, uh, these Khan Academy Ugh. correct, incorrect indicators that you came across. How did you come across these? You were just checking it out or what? So... No, I had a tutoring student the other day who was using the con free tools because it comes with 10 free tests apparently. Mm, and so mm-hmm. she was reviewing her practice tests on con and I was, she was like struggling to learn from, from her review, even though Khan has these explanations, you know, they're not great explanations, but Khan has these explanations right there next to the wrong answers and next to the right answers. And so I'm looking over her shoulder, trying to help her understand some of these questions that she was struggling to understand. And I see (laughs) a big glaring next to the question that she's looking at. I see Mm -hmm. like next to an answer choice, a big ass, orange, all caps, incorrect. And then in parentheses selected. Yeah. And then it gives the explanation. It gives the answer choice and then the explanation of why it's incorrect. Mm -hmm. But, and then you scroll down and it's got also incorrect next to the other answer choices that she didn't pick. And then it's got in a bright green, all caps, correct next to the answer choice that she, the right answer, the one that she didn't pick. Mm -hmm. But this is, this is the exact opposite of how we recommend people review. Yeah. Because your eye naturally just goes to that bright red or sorry, bright orange incorrect. And then it's like, oh, well, I don't need to consider this answer anymore because I know it's wrong. So let me just ignore that. And your eye goes right to that bright green correct. And then you just immediately start like rationalizing to yourself that you understand why the correct answer is correct because it's right in your face with this big flashing, you know, not flashing, but this big bright green correct message. I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> I hate it. I don't yeah. think, I don't know. Like these are supposed to be professional educators that made this tool. And it, that just seems like the exact opposite of how we always recommend people review their practice tests. Yeah. I was just meeting with someone yesterday for one-on-one tutoring and uh, we were going over questions that he had trouble with and he had not indicated which one was right or even which one he had chosen. Um these were LR questions and it was very refreshing because it's like, all right, well, what do you think now, given what you just read? Um, what do you think of the passage before we even talk yeah. about the answer choices? And uh, he told me what he thought. And then as we started to go through the answer choices, he could honestly and objectively tell me what he thought of each one because he couldn't remember what he chose or which one was correct. So it was an honest discussion about the validity of each choice. 
Yeah, you know, I'm not even sure. Does Khan do any discussion of the argument before they get to the answer choices? Uh, it doesn't look like it based on these pictures right here, but uh, that's another thing that <laughs> just happened last night. I was going over LR questions from test 84 in class, and I said, hey, guys, you're just going to have to bear with me, but I'm going to read this entire argument as we talk about it. And do you know why I'm about to read it all? And they're like, because uh, you want us to hear your voice? <laughs> I'm oh, like, wow. no. Um, they were joking. But um, it's because most people's problems happen in the passage when you're reading the argument. And we need to figure out how you thought about the passage correctly or incorrectly and then fix the problem right there. And in most cases, as soon as we're done reading the argument, we they now understand why the correct answer is correct. So the discussion of the individual answer choices is actually quite short. Yeah, absolutely. I interrupt my students all the time because my students will, they'll go on question number 14 and I go, yep. Okay. And I start doing number 14. Yeah. But then they they want to say, wait, wait, what about the difference? All I want to know is the difference. I want to just understand why it's not C and how come it's D. And it's like, yeah, we're, I'm going to explain that to you. The easy way to do that (laughs) is to read the argument and you're going to notice that I'm going to already know what the answer is before I start looking at the answer choices. Yeah. And that's the thing I really want to teach you because I want to teach you how to do the test the easy way. God damn it. This is, this is the hard way here. And, and this is the con is leading people down this path of like, well, just focus on, you know, we're going to tell you what the right answer is rather than like attack the argument and and really become the master of the argument and solve it Mm -hmm. instead of that. No, no, no. Just let's get straight into these answer choices and let's, let's look at the, the right answer, knowing that it's right and try to justify it to ourselves that we really understand it. That's not learning. That's, that's, <laughs> that's not good. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, interesting. I guess yeah. you get what you pay for. It's a bummer. I mean, I, you know, I, and I, I, shit, I don't know. I guess it is better than nothing, but it's just, you know, people have to consider the time they're putting into it. They're the, the, the expense of, the expense of, of LSAT prep is not just the money you spend on it. It's also the time and energy that you're going to devote to it. Mm-hmm. And so people, you know, saying, Oh, well, I'm just going to use con first and because it's free. And then, then I'll, then I'll do a paid class. And it's like, well, hold on a second though, because you're putting so much of your time and energy and effort and patience mm-hmm. into this thing. And you know, why, why would you be studying with like inferior methods if you could, if you could afford to do something better, I would <laughs> highly recommend that you do because your time is valuable. Your energy mm-hmm. is a, a limited resource that you're putting into this. Yeah. And I just don't think people are going to get the most out of this con tool. Not, not like this. They're not. Yeah. By the way, um, I was just listening to speaking of time. Uh, some professor was talking about, was call, talking to college students and was saying, hey, look, when you think about how you spend your time, you should probably estimate that your time is worth $50 an hour. Uh, and the, his reasoning for that was that 
Although most college students are not making anywhere near $50 an hour, when they think about how much money they're going to make over their lifetime um, and try to spread that income out, their time right now is worth $50 an hour. And he said possibly more because the time you spend now is going to affect how much money you make in the future. And so um, anyways, his point was that a lot of times college students, and I know our listeners aren't just college students, but young professionals and college students will waste a lot of time. But if they thought about their time as being worth $50 an hour, how would they spend that time? And also, how what would they spend money on? Sometimes we try to save a buck, you know, um, but it might not make sense to do that when you consider the value of your time. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, $50 an hour sounds a lot for a college student. That's that's if you're going to make $100,000 a year, right? $2,000 uh, hour work year times $50 an hour would be a hundred thousand dollars. So, yeah, but I think he's saying like looking to the future and, you know, uh, spreading your income over your life as opposed to, yeah, I mean, even then, assuming it's lower now and yeah. then higher in the future, most college students aren't going to make that much money. seems a little optimistic, <laughs> but the, the professors, it depends, I guess, where the college is. <laughs> it depends what, depends what school yeah. they were talking about. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't go into the math too much. I was like, okay, sounds like a good number. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, the point is well taken that your time is definitely valuable. And like spending money to be more efficient with your time makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 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 Um, cool. Well, let me jump into this first email. This is from Caleb. Is he okay with us? Yeah, reading his name. Okay, Caleb's subject is full scholarship at best school exception. Maybe? Question mark. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, this person is trying to challenge the presumption that you should not pay for law school. The message says, hi, Nathan. I was listening to the podcast the other day. I really have started to agree with your philosophy on not paying for law school. However, I could think of one exception, one exception, to the idea that you should not have to pay for law school. I am from Ithaca, New York. My whole family lives here. I feel that if I go into Cornell on half scholarship... I would bend the rule because I could live with my family and have nearly zero dollars in cost of living expenses. The cost would be comparable to attending somewhere with full scholarship and have to live on loans. What are your thoughts? P.S. The podcast is great. P.P.S. I would like to improve my writing. Do you have any resources that you recommend for that books or a free online course? Best, Caleb. Uh, okay. What do you think? This is exception makes sense. Well, you do have to think about the total cost of attendance, not just the tuition. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I commend Caleb for thinking about that. I would have to push back though, that, you know, Cornell at 50% is going to be still fucking expensive. I imagine. Yeah. What is Cornell? Like I'm going to $50,000 a year. I would guess at least 50. I was going to say 55. Uh, I was trying to I was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt here. Yeah. Because that's still half is still twenty five, twenty five thousand dollars. It's gotta be. It's yeah. gotta be. So that's fairly depending where you're gonna go to school, that's a fairly significant cost of living. I mean it probably doesn't cost that much to live depending where you go to school. So, you know, I don't know about that. The other the other side is is there nowhere else near Ithaca that you can go to law school for free? I mean, I would think that there must be some school. I don't, I don't know. I've never been, or 
I've been through Ithaca, I think, once. I know that it's kind of remote. Um, is there nowhere else around that you could go for full scholarship and live at home? Because why not both? That would be the ideal. Yeah. So, yeah. I Also, you know, the cost of... It's not like food and that... I mean, I guess if he's going to be mooching off his family <laughs> for all of his expenses. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, are they going to pay for your car, too? Are they going to pay... Because there's, like, lots of cost of living that is not related to rent. Mm-hmm. What you're really talking about is room and board, right? Room and maybe board. Yeah. And so... Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess it's good that he's doing all that math, but I still, you know, I just, I don't think Cornell on a half scholarship is a very good deal. Yeah. It really comes down to how much, uh, his family is willing to pay. And if they're willing to pay a lot, maybe he is getting close to 25 grand. And in that case, it's a wash. You just have to run the numbers and figure it out and then look to make sure there's no other alternatives like you're saying. Yeah. I mean, this does not seem like the, this is a potentially the beginning of a successful rebuttal. Mm-hmm. But this is not a full rebuttal because I would want to rule out all other options first. Yeah. But right. if you do that, it's just the numbers and then, yeah, you win. But then you also should, I think, also consider not going to law school. <laughs> I mean, that's that's an option that <laughs> needs to be considered. <laughs> an option. Yeah. Your opportunity cost of what you're giving up to go to law school includes uh, the money you would have made uh, while living at home for free. Yeah. Uh, I- or going somewhere else and making more money. Yeah, and doing something interesting and productive with your life. Yeah, you're going to be paying Cornell even if you go to Cornell on half scholarship, you're still going to be paying them almost a hundred thousand dollars, and that's money that is going to that's real dollars. I mean, that, those are going to come out of your future pocket, except that for a shit ton of interest is going to get tacked onto it before you pay it all back. Yeah. So, you know, you got to consider that money. You got to consider also your time. I'm not sure how great of a law school Cornell is. Do you have an idea, like, kind of what they're ranked and all that? Well, I just looked it up. Let's see. Uh, 13. Wait, Cornell's a T14 school? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. All right, well, you know, I think people who go to T14 schools do end up with successful careers and all that. But it's but then it's like, well, Caleb, you could for sure get full rides to lots and lots of other places. Yeah. And potentially full rides plus stipend at other places. Yeah. What about those offers? Yeah, because that's going to offset your living expenses. Yeah, I mean, and potentially more than, right? I mean, a lot more than if you if you get if you get a place that's giving you some sort of a decent living stipend, then now you're saving $100,000 by going to that school. So just anyway, broaden up your horizons and think about all of your options. And yeah, maybe you can successfully rebut the presumption. Yeah. And if you want to end up near family, it might be a good option. To answer your last question about uh, writing resources, there is Grammarly, which is a free resource that will check your writing and give you suggestions. So anytime you write something, uh, just put it in there and start learning from what it's telling you. The other thing is I would suggest uh, Brian Garner's book, Legal Writing in Plain English, that has a ton of exercises. And so he basically gives you sentences that you have to rewrite. And and then you take a look at his revision and you start to learn how to rewrite sentences in ways that are clearer and shorter. Okay, great. I would just say read a lot. I mean, anything that keeps you reading 
is going to make you into a better reader and a better writer. So just really like anything that you're excited about reading, you should just read all the time. Cancel your Netflix subscription and read more books. Great. Next one. Yeah, go for it. Dear Ben and Nathan, first off, if you read this on the air, please call me by a pseudonym like Jack or something. Thank you both for the effort and time you have put into the podcast. I'm your newest subscriber on Patreon. Oh, thanks a lot. I've been a regular listen listener since this February, and so far I have made it from episode one to episode 90. Oh, okay. Since beginning my LSAT <laughs> You'll hear studies, this in like a couple weeks, I guess. Yeah, you, well, I don't know. You've got 60 more episodes oh, wow. to catch up to this. So yeah. Could be, yeah. Happy Merry Christmas, Jack, <laughs> or something. Um, since beginning my LSAT studies in February, the podcast uh, Manhattan Preps textbooks, the Fox LSAT Logical Reasoning Encyclopedia, and Ben's videos on strategyprep.com helped me get from a diagnostic in the 150s to a, store, a score consistently in the 170s. I recorded a new personal record the other day, 177, which admittedly is on the lucky end of my range, but I'm happy with my progress. My first test is in September, and I'll keep testing until I get a score I am happy with. Okay. That all sounds good. Yeah. I would say one thing. Um, He says, uh, which admittedly is on the lucky end of my range, but it's still something that you did. And I think people have a tendency to... (laughs) give a lot of weight to their lowest score in their range and not a lot of weight to their highest score. I feel like I'm talking to students all the time who are like, I got 172, but that just happened once and it doesn't mean anything, but I just got a 167. And so that's probably where I'm going to be. And it's like, why, why are you giving more weight to your lowest score? There's no reason to be so negative. Like you've done yeah, it. human nature. Students always do that. They're always like, Oh, well this was an easy test, right? This yeah. one was easy, right? Yeah. Like I got lucky, right? Mm-hmm. Um, no, you're getting better. You've been working hard. Yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. what do you expect? Um, this is a long ass email. I'm surprised this made it through the VIP. Yeah. Uh, let me preface my question. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> hey, don't preface your questions. Just ask your questions. Yep. Some background information. I've always had serious thoughts about teaching. As a high schooler, I helped tutor students. Uh, 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 hmm, hmm, hmm. Blah, 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 blah. I've been making nine fifty an hour working at a fast, casual restaurant since graduation. And every day I listened to your podcast at work was another day that convinced me I should work hard on the LSAT so I could become a teacher and leave fast food behind. I have finally PT'd well enough that I can probably put a 170 plus on record and I have my fingers crossed that September or November will be good enough to qualify me for a position at PowerScore, Testmasters, Blueprint, or Strategy Prep. Okay. (laughs) Ben, you're being mentioned alongside some mediocre test prep companies. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Here's my dilemma. I was just offered an LSAT teaching position at Kaplan. I took a practice test. This is hilarious. This is, this they is really do good. this. Yeah. They did this for me. This is yeah. how, this is, they did this when I, I first uh, went to Kaplan. This is exactly what happened to me. Mm-hmm. I took a practice test for Kaplan a few weeks ago, did well and threw my hat in the ring for a job. They seem like more of a marketing company than a teaching company. And a few things annoyed me during their interview 
Like they couldn't stop bragging about how amazing their curriculum is because they almost exclusively use the Socratic method. Such a load of horse shit. <laughs> okay. I, I don't know why you say that, but anyway, um, still Kaplan offers me an easy way to break into the market. I need no official score to work for them. That is just so crazy. And I'm guessing their application process wasn't nearly as competitive either. I thought this was a good deal. I could work with Kaplan for six months, live at home and save up money, establish some legitimacy as an LSAT teacher and apply to the good companies. Once I get a good official score, unfortunately, I'm not sure this is a good plan anymore. I knew that Kaplan would probably have restrictions and non-competes in their employment contract. But what I'm reading now is awful. The non-compete lasts for a full year. And I think they're, they're claiming that it covers any areas in which Kaplan does business. I'm not a lawyer, so I can't tell how I'm supposed to interpret the geography clause. <laughs> Guess what? Even if you were a lawyer, you would have to go get a lawyer in order to give you a real opinion on this. That's, that's what I learned during my 1L year of law school, by the way, when yeah. I was evaluating my own employment contract. No one knows shit. No one knows anything except for professionals who practice in this field. So just don't even bother reading it. Yep. Um, their contract also stipulates that any intellectual property which I create during my employment that it is at all related to business of the company will be owned by the company. <sighs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How much um, intellectual property are Kaplan teachers creating for their company? <laughs> I know. I know. I now face a classic dilemma. Classic. Is a bird in the hand worth two in the bush? Working for any prep company would probably require that I sacrifice certain rights. Oh my God, this is annoying me. Um, the prospect of making $21 an hour, even if it's only for 10 to 15 hours a week, is tempting when I'm not even making $10. You know, get a better job, first of all. What are you doing working for $9.50 an hour? Quit that job and get a better job. Just whatever. You just. <laughs> it's not Kaplan versus Taco Bell. There's other things, I would think. Yeah. <laughs> You seem like a smart guy. Like, it seems like you would have other options. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I mean, I, I made $15 as an intern when I was in college. Yep. So, and that was in 1997 that I got that job. That's so funny you say that. That's exactly what I made. How weird. $15 an hour? Yeah. 15. I remember that. My uh, first job in college. So what's going on? Why are kids getting boned out there these days? I don't know. Hmm. I could be getting a check from Kaplan and my current job every month. Not only that, but this is a position in my dream industry. And even if I had to wait a full year after termination, well, you don't know that they would do that. I mean, I, who knows whether they would enforce this against you? Who knows whether it would be legally enforceable in any jurisdiction? I don't know. We can't give you any opinion on that. You have to ask a lawyer. Um, Kaplan sucks though. Why don't you go work for someone better? Like, I, I don't know why you would do that. Take the LSAT in September. I would wait. Yeah. Cause that blueprint test masters and even strategy prep, <laughs> you're going to make a lot more money per hour than 21. Yeah. It's then these the A and B here, Jack is just speculating about like, Hey, what happens if I do different things on different tests? I, whatever, take the test in September and then figure it out. Mm-hmm. It's not that far away. No. Okay. Thanks, Jack. Good luck. Uh, don't work for Kaplan. You can do better than that. Kick ass in September. You're going to have lots better options. And anyway, I think right now you have better options than you think. It sounds like you're selling yourself short if you're working for nine fifty an hour. 
We need to stop and talk about this for a second. I can't believe that Kaplan hires people for this position without them having taken the test officially. We've talked about this before, haven't we? I was living in Boston. I walked into the downtown Boston Kaplan Center looking for an SAT job because I had a high SAT score on record. Mm -hmm. They said, we're all full up on SAT teachers, but we need an LSAT teacher. I said, what's that? They said, don't worry about it. You'll do great. They sat me down in a back room with a practice test and had me self-proctor a practice LSAT. And they hired me on the spot based on the result of that test. Hmm. That was in 2003-ish when I was living in Boston. And they put me through a pretty shitty training process. And they immediately had me tutoring LSAT for them. And they were going to put me in an LSAT classroom as well. But then I just didn't even stay working for them for very long at all. Hmm. Um, but that was way before I did even went to business school or anything else. And yeah, they actually hired me on the basis of a practice test, not an official test. Yeah. And I mean, I, I knew fucking nothing about the LSAT. <laughs> just nothing. Yeah. So hmm. that's embarrassing that they're charging thousands and thousands of dollars for people to take classes with somebody who, you know, I mean, I was a smart guy. Don't get me wrong. And I'm sure I scored, you know, 168 or whatever on that practice test. I have no idea what the number was. Yeah. I remember that the woman looked at it. She was like the office manager. She looked at it and went like, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I wasn't going to hire you on a score much less than that. Okay. Yeah. You're hired. And um, yeah, it's just lame. Like I think Jack is right that, they're more of a marketing company than they are an actual education company. Well, so several years ago, when I was actually <laughs> trying to follow the competition and figure out who was out there and what they were doing, I remember calling Kaplan and asking them uh, about their teachers for their upcoming upcom- classes in D.C. And they said on the phone, this is just one person on the phone, but they said, oh, yeah, all our teachers have scored in the 90th percentile. And so in my head, I said, oh, okay, so that's like 164, 165 or higher. But just, I don't know, out of curiosity, I said, well, what does that mean in terms of LSAT score? And the guy was like, I'm pretty sure that's a 170 or higher. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's not. But (laughs) he's like, well, no, it's the top 10%. And we just had this little (laughs) back and forth. And I was kind of like, okay, well... I wonder how many of their call representatives are telling Uh, people that that means a 170 or higher. Boy, it sounds nice. And then he said something like, oh, I'm not sure, but let me get back to you. And I don't know. I just remember thinking like, wow, this is an interesting organization. And it just succeeds because everybody knows the name. Yep. I was at USC um, a couple years ago at a lawfare thing, law legal careers slash test prep thing. And my table was right next to the Kaplan table and Mm -hmm. the reps from Kaplan didn't know what the LSAT scoring scale was. Like they didn't know what the (laughs) lowest number and what the highest number was. So I don't know who these people were. I mean, they were just marketing kids, I guess, but yeah, it's like, wow, you're going to be giving out a lot of useful information at this table, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Wow. Um, Yeah. just garbage. Hmm. So uh, thanks, Jack. This next email, 
I don't know who this is from, some anonymous writer. Hey guys, thanks so much for the podcast. It's been a huge help because I'm self-studying while in summer classes and only have one friend studying this summer. I'm testing out the Khan Academy LSAT prep, which seems like a great resource for people with tight budgets. And I'm buying volume six of the official LSAT test books. Have y'all looked into the Khan LSAT prep? Do you have any opinions about it? Yep, we just shared them at the beginning of the show. Also, my cold diagnostic was a 160. Wow, good job. I pretty much get everything right in games. I actually find this section to be fun. And I am now solid on reading comp and LR but always struggle with the more difficult questions. Do you have any advice on improving my skills in these sections? Um, I've been focusing on tougher sections and at least one full-timed test a week, sometimes split up. P.S. I was diagnosed with a learning disability three-fourths of the way through college, so my GPA sucks. But it was great to listen to the podcast about people with learning disabilities. I'd love if you guys could talk about this topic more because it's nice to hear study strategies from people who have brains like mine. Okay. Um, wow. This question is kind of general. Do you have any advice on improving my skills in these sections? Just do more doing... sections, yeah. work on your mistakes. We talk about that all the time. Yeah. This sounds like it's looking for tips. We don't give tips. When people do ask this sort of thing or they say they've been stuck for a while in LR reading comp, oftentimes I'm like, maybe you just need to take one of our classes because what you really need is to dive into the question types and logical reasoning and start to learn about them. And we can't do that right here. We start talking about all of them. But the general advice that we always give is read the passage, make sure you understand it, and get your mind totally wrapped around it before you go into the answer choices. And once you read the question, predict some sort of loose answer so that you have some idea of what they're asking for and you're much more likely to see the correct answer, even even if that's not what you exactly predicted because the prediction will force you to think more carefully about the argument. Other than that, um, maybe you need to take a class or at least one of our free classes and start to learn a little bit more about each of the types so that you can improve on those remaining questions that you're still struggling with. Yep. We don't know which ones you're missing. So it's hard to give just advice on improving your skills generally. I mean, the general tip is do sections, review your mistakes thoroughly. Um, and yeah, if you're, if you're not paying attention to question types at all, you're making a big mistake because they are asking you different questions. I'm also not sure what to say about the learning disability since we don't know what kind of learning disability it is, but the advice is the same. Read and understand, keep reviewing. Yeah, I don't have any, I have no training or expertise in working with people with learning disabilities. That's not my jam. Um, I do definitely recommend you apply for accommodations. I mean, I hope you're getting your extra time, 53 minutes per section or 70 minutes per section. Um, you need to make a request, you need to sign up for the LSAT. You need to make a request for accommodations and you'll be getting extra time. Once you find out what your accommodations are, you should start practicing with the accommodated timing. But otherwise I, I, as far as how your brain works, I don't know shit about that. I, I, I wish I did, but I, that's just not my area of expertise at all. 
Oh, yeah. Hey, Nathan, it's very unprofessional to use that obscene language, by the way. What, I say shit? Yeah. Yeah, you just said it. It's unnecessary. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck that, dude. <laughs> Stop listening. Jesus Christ. All right. Next well, one? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Hello, Ben and Nathan. Unlike what I assume to be the majority of your listeners, I only started studying for the LSAT a few days ago. I'm utilizing a proof. <clears throat> utilizing? Utilizing. <laughs> I'm using a prep course that began last weekend with a diagnostic. I know I am very early on in this journey, but we are a few classes in and I'm discovering a trend. I find myself understanding the theory and concept without having a clear understanding on connecting it back to the questions and answers specifically on logical reasoning. Do you have any strategies for this specific problem or will more practice be the best thing for me? Thank you. And keep up the great work. Uh, the problem is with the way your material is being presented. Yeah. Your class sucks. Yeah. That's your problem. Mm-hmm. You need to do a practice problem and then talk about what it's saying and why the wrong answers are wrong and why the correct answer is correct. And then extrapolate back from that example, the general theories or principles that you can take away from that specific example. And this, by the way, is not something that's unique to the LSAT. It is the way life works. It's the way we learn language, right? People learn language by starting with specific examples. And then eventually later in life, someone says, by the way, here's the general rule that you're following. And you're like, oh, that makes sense. Never thought about it that way before. This is just how we learn. We learn from concrete, specific examples. And I'm kind of talking about this too, because every now and then at the end of class, I will get people who will email in and they're very sincere and trying to be helpful. And they'll say something like, it would have been very nice if we had had an overview of the general strategies relating to logical reasoning. And, um, Sometimes I want to refer them to books and studies on how people learn um, because this is not something that's just unique to the LSAT. People learn better if they go from examples from the specific to the general, not from the yeah. general to the specific. The reason why people want that is because it's what they expect because of all the other shitty classes they've taken over the years. Yeah. I mean, the reason why your prep class starts with theory and then goes into application is because there's not a true professional expert teacher in the room. The reason why Ben and I do it differently is because we can look at any one of 8,400 different LSAT questions. We can talk about that question as its own entity and then immediately go into whatever theory is necessary in order to understand that question. Yep. But your Kaplan teacher can't do that because your Kaplan teacher scored 166 on a practice test Administered and, at Kaplan. <laughs> potentially self-proctored, at least yeah. mine was. And then you're, that teacher is just dragging you through some pre-scripted lessons that someone at Kaplan World Headquarters wrote. And yeah. they, they think that's the way they're supposed to be. People think that's the way they're supposed to do it just because that's what's out there. But it's far more efficient to just dive into real questions and then learn whatever theory those questions demand. Mm -hmm. So that's the way I do it. That's the way Ben does it. We do it that way because we can. It's hard to do it that way. It's, you know, I couldn't hire somebody to do it that way. 
Uh, that's why I teach all my own classes. Um, yeah, it's a bummer. It, <laughs> it's funny because then what happens is you learn, like, we don't even know what theories this person's talking about. Yeah. They think that they have learned these important theories, but these important theories, frankly, might have no bearing on the question they're actually looking at. Yeah. Not only that, but they might just be some theories that are totally bogus in the first place. Yep. So like <laughs> out of scope, like that's yeah. a theory that's so generic and meaningless that of course it's easy to understand. Oh yeah. I need to avoid answers that are out of scope. You might as well say, let's avoid answers that are wrong. Yeah. Or read the question stem first, which is actually counterproductive. Mm -hmm. That's an easy theory to understand. Yeah. Why am I not getting the question right? I'm reading the question stem first. Or how about the theory of do the easiest logic games first? (laughs) Or work backwards in logical reasoning. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. Take a, take a better class. Um, you know, or if you want to ask us questions about specific theories that you don't understand, cause that's the other thing is that they just do a terrible job of teaching the theory anyway, probably mm-hmm. because they're not connecting it to actual LSAT questions. They're teaching theory just separate. You know, it's this ivory tower, like let's learn about this LSAT theory mm-hmm. without any practical examples or LSAT examples in order to like drive it home. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are good at that. So if you want to ask us about a theory specifically, we could evaluate the theory and we could try to connect it to like something, you know, that real, real life, like a real example. Yeah. But as far as just, I understand the theory, but I can't connect it to the LSAT questions. I, I have no idea. I don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Next one. Yeah. That was anonymous. Thanks anonymous. Hello, guys. I've been listening to you guys for a while and love the podcast. I have a degree in history and finished with a 3.34. However, I initially had plans to go to law school after undergrad, but I found work in tech as a software engineer. Congratulations. Thanks for writing in. Best of luck with your life. Yeah, goodbye. What are you doing here? (laughs) Don't go to law school. Simple. Currently, I work as a software engineer for a big media company in LA, and I have been working as an engineer for three years. I'm now considering going to law school at the age of 29 with two kids. What advice do you guys have for someone in my position looking to go to law school with my situation? Don't. Hmm. How can I leverage my career in tech to get a job in law? Don't. (laughs) He continues. I am also looking to stay in the LA area for school. Is there any advice on what schools I should strongly consider given my situation? I don't think the fact that you have kids is going to make any difference between law schools. One thing to keep in mind about law schools, everyone, is that all law schools are the same except for some are shitty and some are respectable. That's it. Because uh, the ABA requirements basically dictate what law schools have to offer to their students. So I don't see any difference between law schools except for do they offer part-time programs or not? And are they horrible or do they at least have some standing in the world? That's it. Yeah. The fact that you're a software engineer, that's such a more promising career. You could do anything with that. That's the whole future of the world. I don't get it. I, it's yeah. I mean, my, my overwhelming advice here would be don't go to law school. I don't, I can't imagine what you're thinking about. 
what, what are you do? What type of practice, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to yourself? Why are you doing this to your family? Yeah. And let's listen to these other emails. Apparently there's a second email and then a third. The second email says, I was also working on a second degree in software engineering and currently hold a 4.0 after taking two classes. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's irrelevant because they're, they're not going to, all they care about is your first bachelor's GPA. So you're going to be a 3.34 when you apply to law school. So that, yeah. that's just, who cares about that? Well, it's irrelevant to applying to law school, but it's relevant in considering whether you should go to law school. Apparently you're good at, and good enough at this to get a 4.0 in your second degree. Yeah. So. Smart, smart fucking dude. And like, you know, successful in this field. Mm-hmm. So probably could be successful in law too. I just don't know why you would go into a less promising career. I don't get it. Yep. 30 mil. I'm also a former military. I was in the Navy for four years. Okay. And that indicates that you have like discipline, you know, military folks just tend to be harder workers than everyone else in the world. So I, I get that. That's great. But you know, you could just, why don't you just go rid, go get rich doing software and do interesting boy, you could work for literally anybody doing software. Mm-hmm. You could work on literally any project doing software. I don't understand why you think you want to be a lawyer. You're, you're, you're like, you're good at technical things. You can get paid so much for doing technical things that other people don't have skill in. Mm-hmm. You have a 3.34 in history. You're going to be competing with people who got a 4.0 in history. Yep. It seems like you're you're better suited to software than you are to 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 law stuff, verbal stuff. I, I don't. This seems like a bad plan. I mean, as far as what schools like, if you're going to do this, just absolutely don't pay any tuition for school. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this just seems like run run away from from law school. I don't get it. Yeah, for the sake of your children. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> It's a joke, but it's also serious. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Next one. Yep. Hi, Ben and Nathan. Here's a grammar rant. If you read this on the show, call me persnickety. This won't be helpful because this isn't a grammar podcast, <laughs> but I know how you hate improper use of semicolons. I was reading through the directions on the LR section, and I feel like either I may be being persnickety but I think LSAC needs to have their semicolon privilege revoked. All right. You didn't use either correctly there, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously that's like a typo or editing mistake or something, but uh, it's a grammar email with bad grammar. Okay. The sentence in question quote, however, you are to choose the best answer semicolon. That is the response that most accurately and completely answers the question. End quote. It is debatable whether or not the part after the semicolon is actually a complete sentence that can stand alone. The response that most accurately and completely answers the question is all the subject and therefore cannot be the predicate. So where is the predicate? Is? That's just what they want you to think. But, quote, that is followed by a comma is a transition and is not part of the clause following it. Is isn't serving as a verb there, and more importantly, is not serving as a predicate. 
The fact that that is contains a verb is not sufficient evidence to say that it is the predicate. We have other transitions, such as notwithstanding and that being said, that despite containing a verb, do not act as a sentence's predicate. <laughs> I can't read the rest of this. Yeah. Um, I would just say the, the semicolon usage is wrong. It's not a complete sentence. Yeah, you're right. I, w- I think that's a bad semicolon. I agree. Anyways, I'll stop procrastinating. <laughs> Thanks for the podcast, Persnickety. Cool. Next one, it's you. Hi, Nathan and Ben. I hope you all are doing well. My name is Elizabeth, and I've been listening to the podcast for about a year now. Thank you so much for all of the LSAT and admissions advice. What would I do without your tips and tricks on test day? <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, good. Anyways, I have never written in before, but as I'm de-stressing before the July test, I thought I'd send in a small sample of the lovely advice and well wishes that I have gotten from law schools. It would be funny and informative for some of the listeners if you could evaluate their advice as you did on the plan don't cram episode before the February (laughs) test. MSU offered last minute do's and don'ts that I copied and pasted below how many are turds? Is there a pearl? Or may maybe is at all just white bread wisdom, TM. <laughs> a specific, specific brand of wisdom that is common probably does the job, but is not as valuable as your pearls. Okay. Trademarked a phrase there. Um, let's go through these. Advice number one, maximize your LSAT score. That's a great tip. Yeah. Okay. You've done practice tests developed by a test taking strategy, built up your endurance and practiced the logic games. What else can you do to prepare before the big day arrives? Question mark. We pulled MSU law students who scored 160 plus and they offered some last-minute success strategies for you. This sounds like a <laughs> Kaplan strategy. <laughs> We've pulled together. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we should be clear about this. 160 is not a good LSAT score. Like, the, the fact that somebody scored a 160 does not mean that they have any business talking about the LSAT at all. Yeah. That's, like, you, you can score 160. Like, you could just be really smart and have really bad strategies and score a 161. Mm-hmm. You could you could be that same person and with no strategies at all potentially score higher than your 161 that you think is a great score because you achieve you you applied your like stupid strategies. Yeah. So <laughs> these these people who scored 160 plus, I mean they the <laughs> if that said 170 plus, then maybe we could be talking. But even then, people who score in the 170s don't necessarily know why or what yeah. advice to pass on to others. Yeah. Yeah. Last minute success strategies. Great. Boy, I can't wait to hear these. These are going to be awesome. Did I ever tell you about the guy I interviewed who got a 180? Uh, no. So I was interviewing this guy who got a 180, and this was a long time ago. This was like eight years ago. And I remember saying, okay, well, uh, can you do this LR question? He did it. He got it right. And I said, well, can you tell me why answer choice D is correct? Um, it has to do with that nearsighted. Remember that nearsighted um, question about the kids whose nearsightedness goes away with age? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he, he chose the right answer and he goes, I said, okay, well, why is that correct? Like, if I got this wrong, how would you explain this to me? And he goes, <clears throat> well, 
The answer just speaks to me. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. And that's probably yeah. why you got a 180. But uh, can you help me out here? And he says, well, it just makes sense. Uh, this is definitely the right answer. And I was just like, well, you know, it's really nice talking to you. Talk to you later. Um, in any case, here are some of the pieces of advice. Do. Advice number one, anticipate test conditions. Thumbs up. That's what it has. It has a thumbs up icon here. For your last practice exams, try to completely simulate what test day is going to be like, which means adding distractions into the mix. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> like whale noises? <laughs> Annoying noises, interruptions, warm slash cold room temperatures. Don't let them surprise you when you sit down to take the LSAT. That's that's just terrible advice. We agree. How are you going to add your own interruptions? Well, like having the, like those LSAT timers, like the LSAT timer <laughs> with the whale so. noises. Yeah, uh, with bombs going off. Wait, what is it? A bomb? But no, an explosion went an off. An explosion went off. Yeah, you need explosions going off in your while you take the test. I mean, we say don't shy away from doing practice sections in mildly annoying environments. Yeah. But I certainly would not be doing this on my last practice exam, like intentionally introducing distractions on your last practice exam. Mm -hmm. No way, because now you're training yourself for failure. You're going to like set yourself up for a meltdown on your last practice test. Yeah. No, 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 no. That's a turd there. Okay. Next one. Thumbs up. Icon. Tip. Plan for the big day. Uh, okay. The last thing you want to do the morning of the test is figure out logistics. Review LSAC's official policies in advance so you can buy your pencils, print your LSAT admission ticket, and prep your clear plastic bag. If you can, drive, park at the test site, and find your room to reduce unnecessary stress on the day of the test. Um, I don't necessarily have a problem with a little bit of planning here. This seems... A little overboard. I don't know that I would read all of LSAC's official policies, including do not bring firearms. Hopefully you're aware of all that. I would just make sure you have your bag and your ticket and you're, know where you're going. Yeah, print your ticket, figure out how to get there. This, is this I feel like, is a, is a pearl. I mean, this is fine. All of this is fine. It's not too heavy-handed. Mm-hmm. Reviewing those, those policies. I mean, you know, generally reading the shit that LSAC sends you is pretty useful. Like, have you had people who got fucked because they got accommodations and they didn't really read the 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 emails that they got sent? Yeah, I have. I, I, yeah, I have actually. Um, yeah, I I'm mean, just thinking about all the the legal mumbo jumbo. That yeah, yeah, you don't you. right, but just make sure that you at least skim stuff that they send you. You know, pay attention to the stuff they're telling you. It's you do need to know things like I'm not allowed to bring any electronics with me to the test. And if you didn't read the, the rules, you might get, you might get fucked on that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had a student recently who got busted for leaving the test center at the break. Yeah. If that's a rule, you want to make sure you know, that's a rule. And so, yeah, I mean, definitely print the admission ticket, definitely get your pencils, clear plastic bag, whatever, figure out the directions, parking, all that stuff. I, I think that's a. We can, we can give them credit for a good tip on that. Next tip, thumbs up. Focus on what you do well. 
It's critical to maximize your score in your strengths since that's where you should gain points. Don't neglect those questions in order to spend more time on your weaker areas. You should also feel comfortable skipping a question that you're unsure of. Time is valuable, and you can come back to it once you've answered questions that are that you're more confident in. Mm. I don't necessarily have a problem with the idea that you should uh, neglect questions. Um, it says, don't neglect those questions in order to spend more time on your weaker areas. Yeah, you, you should spend time on the easier questions up front. Don't rush through them. Um, but this idea of skipping questions and coming back to them is confusing because in most cases, if you <laughs> cannot do a question, you're also not going to be coming back to it because you're not going to be finishing. Right. And if you skip five questions, you're guaranteed doing harder questions near the end of the section. Any five that you skip, um, you're going to end up doing ones that are harder. Yeah. Like if you skip one, okay, fine. Mm-hmm. Although even that I don't really love. Mm-hmm. I just think you should be moving forward through the test, not backward. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's a really bad bad plan to scan the section and try to do the ones that you feel more comfortable on. I mean, that's guaranteed you're going to be doing harder questions. Yeah. So um, this feels like a bit of a turd. Next one. Now, this is a list of things that you should not do. Uh, don't stay up late studying the night before the test. Yeah. Don't stay up late studying the night before the test. I agree with that. Maximizing your physical and mental readiness means maximizing your score. Cramming the night before is probably not going to actually help you out much. Yeah, I don't think it's going to help you at all. Given that the LSAT is a long test, it's more important for you to be sharp through the whole thing. One thing, though, to be aware here is that if you <laughs> if you end up staying up late the night before, um, it's not going to be a huge deal. Obviously, it would be nice to get a good night's sleep, but you don't need to stress yourself out because you weren't able to. So although you shouldn't stay up late studying the night before, if you end up staying up late, um, don't worry about it. You're yeah, don't do what NyQuil Mike did, which is have a panic attack and then start chugging NyQuil at 3 in the morning in order yeah. to force yourself to go to sleep. I mean, if you can't sleep because you're nervous or whatever – just turn the lights off, put your phone away, chill out in the dark, even if it means that you're going to just be kind of resting there quietly for a few hours. Um, that's fine. It's not the end of the world if you can't sleep the night before the test. Um, yeah. Obviously, this tip, to the extent that it means don't study the night before the test, that's great. Yeah. Like, why would you study the night before the test? Not only is it going to not actually help you out much, it's going to probably hurt you studying the night before the test. Yeah. Ben, you like to say the hay is in the barn and <laughs> the hay I, is in the barn, the hay is in the barn. So at, at that point, the day before the test, you just, you could take the whole day off. You don't need to be doing any prep the day before the test. Yeah. And you know, if you're having trouble sleeping the night before, because you're thinking about the test or whatever it is, that's keeping you up. Uh, I don't actually have a problem with you turning on Netflix. I know that screens and, bright lights and so forth is going to keep you awake longer. But I really don't have a problem with you watching a movie or something like that, that will take your mind off of whatever's stressing you out. Most likely the test. 
and actually make it more likely for you to fall asleep at some point. Like you're watching that show and because you're not thinking about the test or sleeping or yeah. all these other things, yeah. at some time you're going to start to feel sleepy. And then it's like, yeah. okay, just turn off the show and then go to bed. You should yeah. try to go to bed when you feel sleepy, not force yourself to happen or to feel yeah. feel sleepy prematurely. Well, you should be treating the next day as just another practice test. Mm-hmm. So what would you do if tomorrow was just another practice test? Like, would you drink a beer and watch a movie? Okay, then drink a beer and watch a movie. Who fucking cares? Like, mm-hmm. don't drink 10 beers. Like, And don't, <laughs> you know, I mean, just keep it civilized, obviously. But it, you don't. Making it like, oh, I have to perfectly engineer the last 72 hours leading up to the test. <laughs> that's, that's a mistake too, right? You're mm-hmm. like over planning your relaxation. Yeah. So just, you know, take some deep breaths. Just try to calm down. There's always another test after this one. Um, but yeah, d- staying up late studying, that would definitely be a mistake. Okay. Next one. Next one. Do not panic under pressure. That's a sounds like an invitation to panic. Even if a section seems particularly challenging, your general test taking strategies are still in play. Keep a cool head and you'll answer more questions with more accuracy than you would if you let nerves take hold. That's true. I mean, at any time you feel like you're panicking, just uh, take a deep breath, look around the room. I noticed more uh, people were doing that last night in class. I was very proud of them. I said, okay, we're doing a 35-minute section. Go. And several people kept their head up, looked around, and then turned the page to go into the section as opposed to just jumping in and doing it all right away. So, yeah. 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 Uh, this this tip is fine. Don't panic, obviously. Panic doesn't help anything. If, mm-hmm. if something seems weird and hard, it's probably weird and hard for everyone. Yeah. It's also probably not as hard as you think. In fact, it's almost guaranteed not as hard as you think. Mm-hmm. Uh, logic games, particularly just because it doesn't fit into some template that you've memorized, just because it doesn't fit into some type that you've memorized doesn't mean shit. There's lots of weird looking, super easy games. So you got to just kind of breathe and read the words on the page and understand them. Yeah. Last tip. Don't rush through the test. Answer the questions at a pace that will be fast enough to get through the whole test, but not so quickly that you'll that you're reading the questions incompletely or not doing your best work to get the answers. Terrible. Answer the questions at a pace that will be fast enough to get through the whole test. Yeah, this tip started out well. Don't rush through the test, and then it's like, but go ahead and rush. <laughs> yeah, but make, <laughs> make sure, sure you finish. You finish. <laughs> yeah. Make sure you finish the hardest questions on the test, even if you're trying to, you know, this is some dummy with a 160 who like (laughs) they finished the set, they finished the test and got a 160. Like that's not good. Mm -hmm. You could have got a 165 if you wouldn't have finished the test. Yeah. So we got an email recently from someone who was scoring 174 without finishing any of the sections. Yeah. So yeah, you, this, this advice should be don't rush through the test period. (laughs) Yeah. Or answer the questions at your own pace, Mm -hmm. read carefully, understand, make the test easy for yourself. The questions are easy. They should under, they should feel easy. If they're not feeling easy, you need to read it again 
and you need to make it easy <laughs> by paying enough attention that you realize how easy it actually is. That's what it should say. Yeah. Okay. Well, those were some mm, half pearls, half turds. Yeah. From MSU law students. Okay. Okay. So the email, email continue. continues. Yeah. yeah. William and Mary, on the other hand, gave me these words of wisdom. Quote, I hope the wind is at your back and good things, including the correct answers, come your way on test day exclamation point. Okay. It's a meaningless, yeah. vacuous sentence. Yep. I hope the wind is at your back too. Whatever that meant. Oh, my mom said that the wind at your back part is an Irish saying. It seems like a very long-winded way of saying, good luck. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Good luck. <laughs> Exclamation point would be sufficient. Thanks again for all of the pearls of wisdom you shower upon us listeners. Oh, I have listened to all of the episodes at least once. And learning to follow your advice has helped me to improve my score. Without y'all, I might have only taken the test once and accepted my 163. My last two full practice tests have been 171 and 172. Although I recognize that this is too small of a sample size to make any sweeping claims about how I will score on Monday, it gives me big con a big confidence boost, and I feel vindicated in thinking that I could score higher on the test. Well... Yeah, if your last two practice tests have been 171 and 172, I am willing to bet a lot of money that you will break your 163. Yep. Have a wonderful afternoon. I have had I if I have any funny test day stories, I'll be sure to share. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thanks for writing in. Yeah, good one. Yeah. Um all right. Well, I think I should probably call it works for me. That was show 155. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.